0: Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Great episode today with writer and comedian, Allison Leiby. I really enjoyed talking to her. Heads up, there is a little noise you're going to hear in the background, the apartment above me still being renovated. Also, there are a couple of times, or maybe just once, when sirens go off in the background. So if you're driving while listening to this, no one is coming for you. At least I hope. I hope you've done nothing wrong to get the cops after you. (laughs) But uh, there are just going to be some sirens popping up don't be alarmed this is a trigger warning all podcasts recorded in new york city apartment should reference i think on to today's episode allison has a great background in comedy and she talks about it all which is very informative and i found what she had to say to be very encouraging as well so let's just get right to it here's my chat with allison Libby. You do a ton of stuff. You've done a ton of stuff because you've worked on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You've worked on The Opposition with Jordan Klepper, uh, which is a show I actually went to go see a couple of times. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. like
1: You're One of the few.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy going. I mean, I think we went two or three times.
1: Oh, wow, that's great. It's like the joy. Of, like I mean, it's one of the things in New York that I wish more people knew that you could go. Like, You know, it's an in and out hour, 90 minutes. You know, just to kind of, like, sit and watch TV get made. I don't know. I wish more people did it.
0: Yeah, it's actually super fun. And there are a ton of opportunities for that. Well, there were. In, well, there were. <laughs> in New York. Um, you've also worked on The President Show. Um,
1: yes. One of my favorites. When
0: did comedy become a part of your life?
1: I mean, you know, as a consumer of it, since I was, you know, anything I when I was younger, like I grew up yeah. in a funny house. Like we watched a lot of, you know, Mel Brooks and The Simpsons, and like, you know, definitely I was not, uh, you know, late to like learn the classics by any means. But uh, I didn't mm-hmm. really do anything with it in a real way until I mean, I did it in college. I was, I was like, just really wanted to be an English professor and didn't really think about comedy as a career. But uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I interned at the Onion after I graduated. Oh and, wow. Uh, had a really good, that was like right when I moved to New York and I was like 22 and had like an internship with, with the A.B. Club, but it was with uh, the rest of the Onion, of course, and uh, right. worked there and, and and started doing like a little bit of kind of like freelancing and blogging and things like that. And uh, that was kind of the first comic, like professional comedy taste I had. But it was years before I ended up uh, writing professionally or performing in any way.
0: Mm hmm. Interesting. So what made you make that jump? Like, when did you start realizing, oh, I can actually do this?
1: Yeah, it's just a very, I think comedy is such an interesting uh, and broad way to define a a part of the entertainment industry. You know, comedy can mean different things to different people, but, you know, for me, it just felt like, someone had to tell you that you were allowed to do those things like that you had to be kind of like selected from some group, you know, or that you had to have been trained in a specific way. Like I didn't really go through, you know, the performance schooling that so many of my friends who are improvisers or sketch writers and sketch actors had done like UCB and the other, you know, in Chicago, you have IO and the groundlings in LA, you know, that wasn't, I don't want to be an actress. Um, and I was always like, stand up was really appealing to me and I just never, uh, thought that you could just start doing it. And then one, I I learned that you, you could just start doing it. (laughs) Um, And I had kind of been in some other industries that kind of felt like they were circling being a professional writer. I worked uh, in museums for a while and I worked in book publishing for several years and they were all just kind of like next to what I wanted to do. Like it was just creative adjacent in so many ways. And I was like, wait, what I loved from that, you know, onion internship and, and that, kind of blogging freelance lifestyle that I had going on for a bit was, but I liked being creative and being funny. Um, so then I just started doing some storytelling and stand up around town and was like, wait, this is all I want to do. This is how you do it. It seems, it's so, it seems so easy. Um, even though it is obviously not easy at all. <laughs> right. Um, but the fact that it's just like, yeah, just start writing things and then going and performing them as often as humanly possible is the process. So once I learned what that was, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I do this now.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is a, a journey that you took there then. <laughs> and what did it take for you to start really swinging for the for the big roles that you've gotten? I mean, uh, what, what was that, that developmental time period like that led you to getting getting real good gigs.
1: I mean, it was a very long, um, and I will always tell people like that, uh, it might look short. Uh, it might look like, Oh, you got this job and then this job and then this job. But like the, the lead up to getting hired to do anything for 99% of people that do this is very, very long. I think uh-huh. I started doing, I think I've been doing up uh, every night, you know, from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m., just grinding through open mics and then doing whatever shows I was booked on and kind of slowly getting on better and better shows and getting more established and while having a 9-to-5, like, data entry job that was just kind of a day job so I could make sure I had insurance and paid my bills and then freelance writing and, like, you know, cranking out a weekly column for Eater and doing all these little, like, pieces for McSweeney's. I'm, like, just devoted my life to this for five years before I was even really invited to submit to maybe get jobs um mm-hmm. you know it's a very who you know you know it's like well usually it's through managers and agents that you get to submit to a writing job which in late night means that you they give you you know some parameters for what they want and you write somewhere between 2 and 15 <laughs> pages of jokes for them um so then i started kind of getting packets here and there uh, for submission just from people who knew me from stand up or uh you know, fr- like friends who worked at shows already who were like, you would be great. And I got, I got close to some things, but, you know, not really, like learning to write for TV is a separate skill. Um, I think especially for, I mean, like stand up and late night go hand in hand, but you still have to learn how to write for someone else, which I hadn't done in the five years that I had been doing stand up. Um So then I just kind of started doing, I became like kind of a packet queen and did every, I started, you know, once I got a manager and I just did every single submission packet. There was a year I think I did something like 40, which is crazy. Um, But eventually the right, and I got so close and was, and so crushed so many times because every time you do one, you think that this is the one you're going to get because you've poured all of this work into it for free. and you get the meeting, and you're like, well, no one gets the meeting unless they're already getting hired, and it's like that's objectively untrue, but something you tell yourself. Uh, and then, you know, finally, the I had done a couple, I had, I had worked on a couple of little like talk shows, um, and then uh, like a, I worked on an e show that went for you know a couple of months, and and then I, I got uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. The election specials were my first really big to me, job.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, like, I now That was one thing I hadn't heard about that. You uh, did some Triumph yeah. stuff. That's great. I love Triumph.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I, it was like, I mean, growing up, my goal was such a hero of mine. Oh, yeah. Um, and I loved triumph, but also like all of the TV Funhouse stuff. And it just, every, I mean, he's just, you know, a legend if you're, a, you know, someone who loves that part of like that world of comedy. So it was just, you know, to get to do it. And, you know, it, it wasn't, I usually don't lump it in as my first like real, real job because it was mostly done remotely and I didn't have kind of the writer's room experience that everything I've done since has, but that's just kind of how goal does it, especially with these, uh, you know, he, it was all, you know, it's all on location. It's him going to conventions. It's him going to rallies. It's him going to, this was in 2016. Um, so you know, you're not bringing a staff of 20 with you. You just want like 20 funny people on their computers waiting for you to be like, we need jokes about this person. Cause we're going to see them in an hour. Um, so it was like a crash course in like becoming a joke machine. Um, Cause they would email you at like 1am being like tomorrow at eight, we're going to see Wolf Blitzer. We didn't think we were going to see him. So we need a whole bunch of stuff to say to him. And like, then new- you, crank out as many as you can. And at 3am, you crash and you wake up at seven to just like make sure you're sending in the right stuff. And it's, it was it was a a runaround, but it was so fun. And I I just am endlessly, you know, so proud that I even got to work, you know, in any capacity with him and with that show. And and it was a very good experience. And then it was still another year, I think before, you know, and then the president show was the next thing. And it was more just that that was the right first job for me because i had known anthony um for a long time and i was i was close with a lot of people on that staff and they like knew me and and i had the right sensibilities for that show which i think were actually very particular um and narrower than the average late night show probably would have been
0: yeah that's a pretty interesting process that you described there so i want to talk about that that triumph experience a little bit of yeah you know having to write really quickly um How and specifically talking about how to develop uh, being a joke machine. Uh, How did how did you go about finding finding out how to do that?
1: I mean, it's like, you know, part of that is is a little bit of the breeding of being a stand up where you're just kind of like going out every night, testing as many jokes as you can and, and fine tuning. And, you know, I I certainly knew how to structure jokes you know, from a general, in a very general sense, but like pretty well at that point when I had gotten that job. But then uh, it was interesting because like, instead of like a, you know, take like the tonight show or, or, or any late night show um, and look at what the monologue is. It's like, Oh, we're going to do like one joke about each of these things. And I'm sure people probably submit a couple jokes about some topics. Um, but Smigel is all about quantity uh, and quality obviously, but like him having a lot to choose from just because like it is unscripted, it does not follow, um, a traditional scripted monologue. I mean, he's just talking to someone and they don't know like what else they're using and what else they're doing. And it's all getting edited together into a big thing later on. And so it's just how many options and angles do we have to make a joke about this person? So like they would send us a person or a thing that was happening, um, and I would just sit there and just attack it from ever- – I would spend an hour writing jokes about, like, one person who I might not even, like, know a lot about, you know, just like a-, a CNN commentator or, like, a senator from a state I don't live in. And all of a sudden, you're just, like, in Wikipedia being, like, they voted on what? Who? But, like, learning, like, well, how, how detailed is, like, too irrelevant for, like, a quick right. – this might be a 30 second segment, like I can't be like, well, he was he voted for the Hyde Act, and like you know, that's right not um super helpful for like you know, <laughs> but at the same time, you don't just want to submit a bunch of jokes about what someone looks like because that right you know gets very tiresome, right? So it was just it made me learn, and it wasn't always 1 a.m. to 8 a.m., like there were there was plenty of times where we had a day um to write stuff, um, but it was certainly like you know, you have to sit there and be like, what are all the different ways? And like, it's roasty style jokes and those are pretty formulaic. Um, but like learning, you know, I'm like, all right, well, if we're talking about Wolf Blitzer, like I could talk about Wolf, but I can also talk about CNN as a entity or whatever. Like there's ways to kind of look at like, what are the different ways I can hit this joke? And then you just try and give as many as you can. and But still cutting yourself off at a point where you're like, this is just going to overload like, he's not going to read these after a certain point. There's too many. <laughs> um, so it was, there was, it was a huge, I would say it was, like, one of the jobs I learned the most about, like, how to really write under pressure.
0: It's basically knowing joke structure, knowing different angles that one can take with a joke, and mm-hmm. also knowing the different types of jokes that are out there. Like, you have jokes about somebody's past and then also jokes about how they look or, you know, just like right. the different things like that. Yeah. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, and and then it was so interesting to see kind of like what, you know, what was in the cut and then like what was in the final show and like what, cause like, you know, those segments, obviously he like, he picks some of his favorites and then he has somebody kind of waiting to be like, Oh, well here's, here's a bunch of options. And then he just kind of goes, um, So it was, it was like nice to get to see like what works, what doesn't, you know, that, that kind of stuff is also really um, helpful. It was also helpful that I know Triumph, Triumph's voice, Um, but like, I know, uh, you know, what the character is and like how he talks and jokes before I got hired for the job. So it, it was a little bit easier to, you know, stay in his lane and like write things that I knew like made sense for what we were doing.
0: I love that. I love that process. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I was very curious about that, but then also hearing, you know, you might get somebody that you know nothing about. So you have to just yeah, do a deep dive.
1: Pretty panicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you would know that, like, it won't be a long segment because unless something crazy happens, because you won't spend a ton of real estate in a show on someone that no one's heard of or doesn't or no one knows very well because there's just less to joke about unless, you know, things go off the rails in a conversation. You couldn't predict, you know, it was it was also like a learning experience and how to like, how much time to spend on certain things. Cause like, you know, what's going to, you know, that if he can get to Ted Cruz, it's going to be a much longer segment than if he's going to talk to, you know, a freshman congressman that no one's heard of. So there, you know, there was a lot of just kind of starting to understand like how TV gets made. Um, and where to kind of spend your time and spend your energy as a writer um, so that you're getting as much good stuff out there for them as, as you can. But not like just spinning your wheels, cranking out garbage that's truly never going to see the light of day.
0: Yeah. And also with writing so much and, and knowing that there's, there's just a lot of material that's coming out, it explains why he has sheets of paper with him when he's doing like the man on the street type bits. Uh, or like right. at MTV Video Music Awards, and he's making fun of Eminem, and you see that he's holding sheets of papers, that's where the jokes are, and he's also like on the spot sort of choosing what to go yeah, with. Yeah,
1: which is, I mean, it just shows what his his mind is like forever right. fascinating to me, and he's so brilliant, and just to be able to scan that sheet and know exactly the direction he's going to go, and then like right. still deliver it as Triumph, and still like respond as Triumph with something that's not scripted is incredible.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's super fascinating because you have to be such a good listener and you also have to be aware right. of what's on the sheet. And and, and uh, when somebody says something, saying like, oh, I know there's a joke about that. Let me get to that real quick. And, and you just have to be so sharp in, in every yeah. way, really, to do what he's doing. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a genius and one of the greats.
1: Yeah, I feel very lucky to have been able to be a part of that just because It seemed like also after, you know, after 2016, while there was also a ton of like more political comedy being done, I don't think there was as much room for, you know, I'm I'm sad there was not more Triumph stuff to do. So I'm very glad that I got to do it when I did.
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, you've done... I've said it a few times. You've done so much in terms of different projects you've worked on, but you've also had such an interesting variety of the work because you've done stand up, but you've also been a writer and gotten stuff that appeared in the New York Times and, and also a television writer, which I feel like while that is, there are a lot of people who have done that. It's not as common to have such a varying so. approach. I,
1: I don't think so yeah. either. I mean, i, I Want I don't want to believe, like, I'm so special. I did all these things. But, you know, sometimes I, when I look back, you know, just as I'm kind of taking stock of, like, what's next and what am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. it does feel like it's been um, a, a very robust uh, kind of approach and journey through comedy writing. Yeah. In all different forms.
0: Have you found that that has opened up opportunities or have you hit certain roadblocks in some places where people are like, well, you do, you sound like someone who does this and that's not really what we need to do. Or do they open it open, you know, do they accept that with open arms and say like, oh, well you can do all these different things. That's going to be util- utilized well here.
1: Right. I mean, I do think that ultimately I'm, I'm sure that it has helped me get plenty of things. Um, you know i was very worried when the opposition got canceled and i was kind of like looking out at what was next that people would see me just as this uh you know political comedy writer and that right. i would just kind of be stuck in that world and i was like struggling to get my pilot kind of finished and i felt very just like oh i'm just like i'm you know i'm a person who writes for men who sit at desks that's what i do <laughs> and 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 when mazel came along it was i was like so nervous that, like, without the narrative experience that I wouldn't, you know, be fit for that, but I also am a female stand-up, and I think that that's something that helped me mm-hmm. kind of be appealing to the show in that way. Um, I have to imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that also that I've written prose, that I've written you know, all this other stuff that, like, I think it did kind of create this, like, okay, maybe I haven't done this one specific thing, but, like, you can see I've done all of this other kind of writing that informs you of what kind of writer I am. And all I'm learning as I go through this career is that the different kind of parts of, of writing comedy and writing, you know, for humor, it's all just kind of learning the rules of that little corner of the industry. Like, you know, there are so many people who I feel are boxed out from political comedy writing because like writing for a show like the daily show or last week tonight there's a format that you need to learn. And once you learn that format, both in like, you know, how a teleprompter works, but also just in kind of like how those jokes sound and how video is placed within a story, you're like, Oh, this is easy. But unless you really like learn that and know that and have access to learning about those things, Mm -hmm. um, it can be very exclusionary. And I think that like, I felt that way about narrative and I I've been able to kind of jump into that world very luckily. and, And I'm sure that like other people feel that about, different, you know, stand up might feel crazy to people who are improvisers. And
0: right, know, right,
1: and, right. and I think that improv is insane. And they're like, it's, you're still a writer. It's just the game. But I'm like, I'm not an actress. Um, <laughs> right, but, right. Uh, but I think like ultimately it always, you know, to find more ways, you know, finding as many ways to be funny as you can is always just helpful for people trying to imagine you being funny for them. Right. Like, if I can be funny for the New York Times and for Robert Snigel and for an E pop culture show, like then yeah, there's probably a world in the middle of that triangle that can, you can see me writing for you if you're one of a few different things. So I think it helps. I don't think it's like necessary for anybody to just be like, well, I can't right. be a TV writer unless I'm in the New York times writing. a humor right, column. Right. Like that's not, you know, I don't think that like, I hope that nobody feels that because I think that that's, untrue but i would agree yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely i find it impressive but i've also seen that run up like you know not in the entertainment business so much but uh in just the office world where people are like well you seem like a jack of all trades and a master of none sort of thing and it's like yeah. is that just an excuse because <laughs> to me if you I can do a lot is. of things <laughs> yeah um, right.
1: you can and especially if you've figured out how to do a lot of things it means that you can also continue to learn how to do new different
0: right things. right which is mastery being able to yeah. do different things is in itself a masterful skill
1: <laughs> i agree
0: um I'm not familiar with how the writing is structured for Ms. Mazel because obviously there's somebody writing the stand-up and there's somebody writing the story. I don't know if that's the same people or if it's sort of spread out uh, among different uh, groups within the writing team. Well, how is that structured in there?
1: It's a, I mean, it's a very small staff. Um, there's only five or six of us plus Amy and Dan uh, who are the co-creators, executive producers, brilliant uh, leaders of the show. And uh, yeah. And then it's uh, a couple playwrights and a couple stand-ups, and we all kind of work together to figure out what this, you know, Amy and Dan always have a very, like not a very clear, but they have an idea, like they've had an idea. It's their show. They have an idea of what they want to happen with all of these characters. Um, and we kind of all together the, you know, the, people who come from a playwriting background. Uh, there's me and two other stand-ups on the staff who, you know, have written for other shows and, and are are writers, in addition to being stand ups, I lump us all together. It's just like, we're all writers um, kind of work together to both develop like what the story is for the season for all these different characters and also kind of how does the stand up fit in, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the what's the opposite of a criticism? compliments that the show gets <laughs> is um, is that uh the stand up usually does compliment uh the other spelling um the uh the action in the show and, and so it is all you can tell that it's like written it's not just like somebody writes a bunch of stand up in a room and is like, just drop this in. Um and we all uh collectively contribute to all of that in a mm-hmm, really nice mm-hmm. way. I think like certainly me and the other Noah uh, garden Schwartz and Jordan temple are the other standups. And, uh, I think that we probably end up writing more like, you know, pitching more standup stuff just cause we're like, I know what this world is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what this sounds like. Um, but like, I mean, there's like jokes in the standup from, you know, playwrights and Amy and Dan oh, okay. write so much of it. And, and, you know, we contribute storyline idea. It's really a, a nice group effort.
0: Nice. Is there a challenge in writing, since the show was set in the 50s or 60s, 60s, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. We, uh, we just got
1: into 1960 in season three. Okay. So we're in, or we're in 1960 in season four. I forget. But yeah, it's that time.
0: Since stand-up was so different then, and then also the culture was so different, is it hard or is there a challenge to writing material for that? time period in a, a time period that the audience is mostly removed from a lot of young people watch the show and they don't they didn't live then they don't necessarily get the references uh, so is there a challenge yeah. in trying to write that in that old school voice
1: it I mean there is and there isn't I think that like Midge per, I personally think that Midge feels kind of modern in some ways um, but then also still is of course of 1958 and like, you know, in the way she does a lot of things, but her, her perspectives, I feel like are a little more modern. And like, I think that's what makes the character so interesting and, you know, how she feels about certain things I think has, is not as far a leap for us writing it. Um, But really knowing what the references would be, what she would even be talking about. um, And just kind of like, I mean, I, I, I loved Joan Rivers like through and through as a stand up. Like I remember watching so many videos of her and just thinking that she was, you know, incredible. And so that the joke structures and like the way that comedy sounded from that era is not super foreign to me. I think we've all kind of done our research too, to kind of learn. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of almost just a fun exercise of like I often when I'm, pitching jokes for it when we get the scripts or when we're like looking at what it might be. And like, I'm like, well, what would I end up talking about if it, if I lived in 1960, like how would I end up saying that? Because I, you know, she's a Jewish woman, the Upper West side, like a very, I feel very <laughs> like connected to her. Um, but I usually just try and approach it a little bit with like, what's a joke that I think is funny that she would think is funny. And like, does it sound of that era? But it is hard. It is it is writing almost in a different, I mean, it's writing for a different time period, but it feels like it's almost like a different character.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's one thing when people write, like you wrote for Triumph the Insult comic, so you're writing for a particular voice, but when that voice also has to have this sort of other style or, or reference other things that... Aren't necessarily current. I mean, at least it helps that she is, yeah. like you were saying, uh, someone who has a, a sensibility that's very modern. Uh, she's way ahead yeah. of the time. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean,
1: her being a woman getting on stage at all in that right. era would have been. Yeah, you know, that would have made her inherently like a little um, edgy or progressive or whatever word you want to use to describe that kind of like pushing forward in culture.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. You also were a producer of Ilana Glazer's special, her Amazon special. What does producing a stand-up special entail exactly?
1: It means different things to different people and different specials. And producer is one of those insane uh, titles in the entertainment industry that it's basically the same as consultant in, you know, corporate America. I think it's a very, you know, there are people who are producers who are, you know, figuring out a line budget of a show. And there are people who are mm-hmm. producers who are writers and there are people who mm-hmm. are producers who are just collecting money on the back end. So right, I'm, right. not not that one. Um, I, uh, in this context, I mean, Alana and I met, uh, years ago at a stand-up show. We were just both booked on, um, this was like, she was like pretty in, into broad city already. It was like maybe season two or something like that. Um, and she was kind of getting back into stand up after having been doing the show for a bit. And she saw me on a show and we just like, in, she just like DM'd me and was like, can we meet for a drink? Like, I want to talk to you about comedy and became like great friends who just like loved kind of like working on jokes together and kind of looking at, you know, okay, so I want to work. I want to talk about this. Like, all right, well let's talk through like what you want to say and, and, and kind of like bounce jokes off of each other. Um, so when she, decided to do a special, um, you know, that was just kind of an extension of that role. So kind of helping her um, kind of like navigate through putting together this hour um, and, and helping her kind of figure out what those jokes, how to get those jokes in the best shape. And so we would go out and do shows together and, you know, then we would like kind of listen to tapes and talk about like, should we move something? Should we, you know, it kind of, it felt a lot like, writing for television um, in a way where it's like you have someone's vision and you're just like how can I help you make this you know the best it can be so just kind of like helping with jokes and and kind of structuring stand up and 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 trying to make it as as tight and and fun for the audience as possible so it was really I mean such a it's my favorite thing to do is just work on jokes with people
0: oh very cool yeah that's nice to hear I feel like stand-ups I have a, a, a rap for, you know, I guess not being helpful, but you know, there's so many people who are helpful in the, in the industry. I mean, I, I think, um, Neil Brennan helped Ellen with her last special. Uh, lots of people yeah. help people. Yeah.
1: It's very common. Yeah. Um, it gets a strange, you know, people are like someone's writing for you and I'm like, yeah, but like even when I get on stage, like, there's stuff that i say on stage that someone has helped me kind of shape and form and and understand a little bit like make it a little bit tighter and it's like and i'm not a like i'm not a big successful stand up i'm still like everyone that's the process of stand up like it's so right. rarely done yeah. uh, alone in a room in a vacuum right and i mean even, even at
0: like, open mics people will say like hey yeah, uh, there's this uh, thing I that i don't get you. right right or yeah, some you I mean, know some sort of structure thing yeah
1: yeah, and I find it very, like, I find stand-up to be like a shockingly collaborative art form, I guess. I hate calling it an art form, um, <laughs> but whatever it is, performance. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, like, I have so many friends who, like, uh, my friend Josh Gondelman will text me and he's like, do you want to get together? I mean, get together. This is before COVID. Um, he'd be like, do you want to get <laughs> together on Sunday and just kind of, like, go over some premises? Because I, I, I need some help kind of making myself write this. They're like, oh, yeah, and we'll each bring a couple things that we're trying to work out. And, uh, you know, go back and forth just talking it out and giving each other notes and tags and how to make it funnier. And it's such a it's delightful to do. And then you then you go try it out at a show and you're like, oh, my God, that worked so well. Or you text them and you're like, that was a nightmare. Why did you tell me to say that? <laughs> like, um, so it's, I find it to be very collaborative. And this was just kind of a um, formalized version of that producing for Alana.
0: Yeah, you mentioned improv sounding crazy to you, but th- that process you're talking about is a lot like what, at its heart, at its core, what improv is. It's a group of people doing that yeah. on stage. You know, someone comes up with an All idea, right. and then other people are like, well, here's something I think that can help that idea.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to find, like, I feel like when I was, like, early in stand-up, I was like, ugh, gross, improv. You know, every there's obvious there's always that add-on nature of those two comedy forms because like they, I don't know, they seem like the antithesis of each other. But at the end of the day, like I, I am most satisfied with like collaborative writing. And I thought that I wasn't for so long because I did so much, you know, writing, you know, funny TV recaps in my early days of like having to freelance and like writing, you know, some of the humor pieces I've done and writing stand up. I thought I was doing that by myself and I've learned, you know, through my jobs in TV, but also like when I really look at like how my comedy uh my stand up comedy has evolved and when i'm working on a script with a like i've i have a writing partner right now who i adore writing with and we just it's more every time one of us has an idea for something to work on we're just like i'd rather just bring this to you and do it with you cuz it's more fun and like inherently better <laughs> when there's two people or or more that are kind of helping this thing kind of become a reality i think there are some you know tortured artists who are like i must do it all alone and That's, like, another awful legacy that Louis C.K. left us. But um, there are, like, I think that, like, you know, the more I'm very more the merrier when it comes to comedy writing at this point, and I, like, love getting in a room together and kind of being able to make something funny.
0: Yeah. Um, Why don't you, was it comedy or stand-up that you were saying you don't like to call an art form?
1: Oh, stand-up. Oh, okay. (laughs) Just not because I don't think that it is artistic expression, but people (laughs) get all uh, high horse,
0: Oh you know, right! High
1: horse about like this is the only real art, and I'm like, don't call right. it art. Like, oh, we're still just, this is not, you know. <laughs> true. I just true. don't like when people take it too seriously. I, I don't either. Yeah. Art form stand up is inherently an art form, but when people get all you know high and mighty about right it being taken as this like truth telling, and I'm like. I don't know. I have like a ten-minute bit about like buying an expensive cactus at a store. I don't know if this is like high art um, or the <laughs> cultural <laughs> criticism that you wish it was. <laughs> yeah, but the people I mean, who think of like like that are the ones who have the least fun with it. I'm like, it's comedy. It's what it's inherent. Like we're just supposed to be making people laugh. The fun of it. Like I just I think it's fun, and it should be fun for everyone.
0: Right. I totally agree. And I um, you know, there's a lot of. I guess, like, truth-telling comedy that I've enjoyed, but I've never enjoyed when people do get kind of on a pedestal and and, yeah. um, and talk in those terms of, like, use your platform to talk about da-da-da-da-da. And I'm always... I just sort of resent it, because it does seem to yeah. take the fun out of it and make it about something that I'm not even sure they they have as much control over. I, I don't know where I land on that whole how much of an impact can it really make because you know on the one hand i know how certain specials have made me think about something you know it has challenged me in some sort of way like that's a real thing but you know people i do think sometimes treat stand-ups as senators on the floor speaking to the (laughs) the nation and getting votes changed and it just doesn't have that impact, I don't think. I mean, it can change it. Yeah, it can, I don't know
1: You know, I, I, like, I like believing that there is is stand-up and, and comedy in and, and the greater sense that can really push social change. And I think that there are definitely examples from right. um, the history of like what can be considered comedy and shows that have you know changed how we think about things and stand-ups who have like really like articulated something that no one's been able to articulate about what happens in our culture. And those things are great and meaningful and important. But like, as long as they're still in the service of making comedy, but once they're not in the service of making comedy anymore, then you're like, well, what am I looking at?
0: Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think, yeah, there was something recently Jon Stewart was saying when his biggest regret was sort of, I guess, sometimes sort of playing into that, like annihilate you know, like, we're going to we're gonna take this down. Does this speak enough truth? Like, that sort of thing. Not that... I don't yeah. think that he, like, very actively was like, let's speak truth to power and change things. I don't think he did that, but...
1: No, I think it evolved slowly into that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, that's, like, what our whole television political comedy culture looks like. I
0: think people learned the wrong lesson from that show. Because I've even heard yeah. people say... If he had been the host of The Daily Show in 2016, Hillary would have won. And the thing is, he was the host Ow. of The Daily Show both times W. Bush won. So I right. I don't think it has that kind of impact. I think a lot I of agree. times people are preaching to the choir, and they may be yep. ahead of the curve, but they are still yep. just saying things within your frame of thinking anyway.
1: Right. Yeah, there are not a lot of like, uh, you know, Trump or even undecided voters that are sitting down and watching The Daily Show or Last Week Tonight or even... (laughs) Right, and doing
0: a 180. I don't
1: don't, don't know that that's happening. We shouldn't expect like these shows to be able to change anything. And if they do, that is just a, a added bonus.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, Because if they're supposed to be changing things, then you need to put them on CNN and you need to put them on, like, and they're not comedy shows anymore. Right. fine, but they're not comedy. It was one of the challenges with the opposition and the president show, which both kind of tackled the very heavy, I mean, president show, obviously embodying Trump and like finding a way to like, how do we, how do we take this like reality show host nightmare who's running our country into the ground and like put him back on TV in a way that like is satirical but also still funny which I th- I personally think we did but you know, I don't think everybody would agree that's fine um, and the opposition too which was supposed to be kind of like a zoomed in look at like what is happening with these like culture warrior fringe alt-right conservatives and it's like well now we're kind of just talking about them and I'm not sure <laughs> how you you know I think we made it funny as much as we could but at the end of the day like both of those shows are inherently not you know mm-hmm built just to be comedies. Right. That's Like why I think they're set up to fail It's because people are like, well, this was funny, but it wasn't the hard hitting thing I wanted or, well, this made a really good point, but it stopped being funny. And it's like, you actually, those shows can't win. Um, Which I think is unfortunate because writing satire can be very cathartic. And I think Mm -hmm. that both of those shows had some of the like funnier jokes that I've gotten to written to write as a, as a comedy writer. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tough corner to put a television show in or to put a a stand up in or, or a, you know, whatever you're looking at to be like, you have to both be the truth teller and save us, but you also have to be really funny doing it. Cause I don't think, I'm not sure that anybody's ever actually done that.
0: (laughs) I don't either. And I think some people think that that's what the court jester did, but, um, yeah, I don't know that that really I don't think that really happened. <laughs> I don't I don't yeah, I don't know. I mean I don't know. I'd have to I guess study that to see I, I I'd be yeah. curious if there were cuz some people have talked about like the court jester being able to say things that uh, no one else could say and and uh, you know to the to the king but I I don't know that the king said, "You know what? On second thought, I'm going to do something completely different than what I was thinking before because you made that joke." I just I I have not personally seen or personally experienced a comedy special making me do a 180 on the way I was thinking. No. If I no. disagreed, I disagreed, and it doesn't matter if yeah. the joke was funny or not. If it's if it's wrong to me, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> so, you
1: yeah, know, right. It's hard. And it's a hard, like, I feel like comedy has gotten pushed into being either like this, like super fluffy, mm-hmm. you know, family sitcoms and like very, uh, surface feeling standup. Because in comparison, mm-hmm. the alternatives are these like heavy hitting man at desk shows.
0: <laughs> right. That, like, there's nothing in the middle. The,
1: darkest, the dark or, or like, a really dark, dark, serious, you know, satire of, you know, whatever awful thing that we want to talk about this time. And it's just like, there's actually, or like, you know, or a stand-up who's like, I'm going to spend a whole special talking about, you know, something super dark or like telling you truths that you don't want to hear. And it's like, well, where's the in between there, there isn't a ton anymore. And I, I hope, you know, I hope that we start coming back, you know, not the middle politically, but like the middle of like, the spectrum of, of, you know, what comedy can look like and that there can be like silliness that every once in a while you make a point, but otherwise you're just being silly. And I think it's a little, it's a little polarized right now. It's a little tough to, you know, you look at Maisel, which is this like beautiful, like escape, escape to, you know, 1960, which is that better? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Like, but it's this like gorgeous goes down, smooth, you know, fun, witty, charming show. And then like, John Oliver like those are
0: your options it feels like right. and there's not a lot in between. I agree I mean I'm a fan of I would say most of the people doing late night shows but you know you do have the serious stuff or you have like you know Fallon is doing stuff that's on the silly side because he he wants to be an Escape. Uh, That's what he wants the show to be. He wants it to just be like games and goofing around because he just wants you to take a load off um i recently heard conan talking he he went to the oxford union and he was talking about this and he said yeah, it's it seems like it's a lot of political stuff but then you have the like jimmy fallon james cord and stuff and he said he likes to find his a way in in the middle where He's not doing really either. I mean, he obviously is on the silly side, but he's not playing games. Yeah. He's, he's kind of irreverent. He's
1: always kind of straddled the line a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He's very irreverent and, and a little bit different and like, doesn't mind like having a bit more of a, a point of view that isn't necessarily just a political one.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, He's he's kind of old school in that regard. I mean, he's he's of yeah. more that Letterman sort of approach to comedy. But he was the one. He's he's the only one who's been on since '93. <laughs> so I guess that's why. It's
1: true. I guess it's Kimmel really
0: has true. a little bit of that. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just think all of this is really really great to talk to you about. You have a really interesting perspective on these things. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're very I welcome. I spend
1: all day in my apartment thinking about it.
0: So. <laughs> well, we've reached the end of the episode so quickly. I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> but
1: uh, Time doesn't mean anything anymore. I think that's I, part of it.
0: <laughs> that's very true. Um, so let's create something together, and I'm trying to decide what that could be. Um, I mean, you talked about... I, I loved you talking about the process with Triumph the Insult comic. Like, if you get... Uh, an assignment and it's like, Oh, I've got a little bit of, I've got very little time here to work yeah. on this. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to make you do the taxing work, but I am interested in hearing that what that process would be like. Oh, um, sure. So could we go over that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Awesome. Um,
0: so let's say, um, let's say we get a celebrity, um, and let's say we don't know much about this celebrity. So let's let's sure. I'm just gonna go to the news right now, just pick a name of somebody who is uh trending or in the news and
1: God, it's gonna be a real dealer's choice there of what you're gonna end up with. For sure. And that means day too. So I'm sure you'll <laughs> see a lot of famous people's names.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find let's see. I don't wanna do that. Um <laughs> it's, uh, let's see okay let's say not that I want to make jokes about her because I love her but Nicki Minaj she's just the name that came up then sure so how if someone's like okay Triumph is gonna be able to talk to Nicki Minaj uh, where right, do we so begin mm-hmm.
1: sure and like I also even though it's you know it's always tricky You know, I I like doing something about appearance if you can, if there's a way. I have plenty of my own personal code for what I think is appropriate or not appropriate for talking about what someone looks like. Um, I feel like usually I go to clothes um, because that is not uh, inherently as insulting, (laughs) I think.
0: Right, yeah. Uh, You definitely don't want to talk about somebody's body.
1: body. (laughs) Yeah, so like I think our culture, you know, 2015 and now uh we talk about everything differently. So like it's so interesting to even like be posed with this because like what I would have said in twenty fifteen would have been much meaner. Um but you could, you know, I would start and like, you know, if you knew what she was gonna be wearing, you would definitely kind of maybe start with that. I always think that like starting with something that's like physical and obvious is just really easy um because it's the first thing a viewer is seeing. Um, at least working with Triumph. So, like, you know, the first thing out of his mouth is going to have to be something that you get just by seeing this person for one or two seconds or having an introduction of, of maybe just their name and their title. So, like, some you know, find something physical. It's hard if you don't know what that person's going to be wearing. I You know, so many of the Republicans and and Democrats at all of the events that we would cover uh, just really dressed poorly. So it was pretty easy to just make fun of their uh, ill-fitting suits. <laughs> but for Nikki, you know, she certainly has a personal style that would be fun to write some jokes about, even though now I can't think of any, um, (laughs) but I would start with that. And then, um, like for, it would just depend on like why we're talking to her, um, you know, at the conventions, it was one thing to know, like, why are we talking to, you know, because he's a piece of garbage, um, because he was there and he's obviously like, you know, had a role and like we knew exactly like he was going to speak or something. Um, so, like, I always like to joke about, like, why someone is there. Like, mm-hmm. if we're at the Grammys, it's like, you know, you know are you just here to defend your title of, like, best nails on any performer? Like, what gives you... <laughs> that's a very, like, mm-hmm. nice joke. Um, right. But kind of just, like, contextualize why we're there, um, why we're talking to this person, what this person is doing, talking to us. Um, and then mm-hmm. I always like to make a lot of jokes about, like... Um, if I can make fun of two things at once, I would really like to. So like I, um, you know, if there was someone else that you could like make a joke about in addition to Nikki in one sentence, you know, like that's always, and it's like hard for me to come up with something on the spot without like a ton of, it's an old reference
0: now, but I guess the beef that she had with Cardi B could have been at one point that that would be one direction to go.
1: Right. Or, like, you could also – I always loved doing, like, uh, like. do you think that you're the blank of blank? Um, right. <laughs> so like, you're making fun of the person. But you can also bring in somebody else that you want to, like, make a reference to or, mm-hmm. like, make fun of the industry as a whole. And, like, I always like to, to do a couple of those and find a couple of ways, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like the old roast joke that, like, it's a it's a structure I always really liked, even though it's, it's very – um Disgusting, but you know, I wouldn't (laughs) like. I wouldn't bone you with blanks. Um, (laughs) Right, right. Square on this, but like that's fine. That's fine. That way, you insult two people at once, and that was always like a very fun. Like if you could get that right, it's just uh, a delight to do. Um, and then I always wanted at least when I would submit for triumph, like one or two jokes that are, like, absurd and, like, a little weird and just kind of, like, a surprise to hear, like, something that kind of has, like, nothing to do with all the obvious things that someone would say if they were interviewing her for a comedy thing and and try and find either one, like, bizarre fact about her that other people don't really talk about or isn't, like, kind of in the top ten things you think of when you think of Nikki or, like, or just, like, go fully irreverent and, like, act, like, who she's voting for even that's like not even a good example, but like something like, like, like do something that's like a little outside of like the scope of what you're doing. Cause like, mm-hmm. you never, it's good to have those on hand, especially if uh, the path you're going down, is it working?
0: Right. Right. Good.
1: Um, yeah. And kind of, and then, and just try and like, and like, and then like, obviously you would write like a couple jokes about like the basics of like, you know, why she's famous, what her songs are like, you mm-hmm. know, her like, her hilarious videos like and just like mm-hmm. making, you know write at you know for triumph I would write at least two or three things like two or three jokes for each like thing that somebody was known for um, okay and just get all those angles and then hopefully you have a page of stuff that somebody eventually reads
0: <laughs> <laughs> and did and was there a finesse to how to make the for me to poop on joke was there a way that you had to try to surprise the audience with that since that was something people were expecting to come?
1: I typically did not submit anything that, uh, fell under the, for me to poop on uh mm-hmm. structure just because I knew that he would get that in regardless. <laughs> right, um, but right. I, as, a, as a newer, as a newer writer to that circle, I, I always felt like, you know, that was going to get covered by somebody. So how can right. I bring a voice that's like a little bit different?
0: Right, right.
1: And that Michael probably could just like, you know, crank out a million of those jokes at any (laughs)
0: point. For sure. Probably just on the spot, he probably just finds a way to... (laughs) I think
1: so.
0: Well, awesome. There it is. That's how you write
1: jokes, apparently.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Allison.
1: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. So nice to talk to someone.
0: And that was a great talk. Big thanks to her for coming on. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Libby. That's L-E-I-B-Y. Links in bio. She has a new podcast coming out August 25th called Ruined. Check that out wherever you get podcasts. Also, she mentioned Keisha Zoller and Josh Gondelman. Both have been on our podcast, and they are two of my favorite episodes. So if you haven't already, go check those episodes out. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There Pod. Also, subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. Go to ThereItIsPod.com. Until next time, be good to each other.